don't pop my guard. I'm Andrea Gazetta. I'm Katrina Davis. And I'm Jordan Lee Williams. And today we're gonna talk about Nikki DeSanfal. Hell yeah. Hey. I've never heard of this artist. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because I felt like it was going to possibly be one of those people that you saw like one of the pictures and were like, oh, okay, I've heard of this like place that we'll get to far later. But yeah, I'm really excited that you don't know who this person is. You'll know other people that I'm going to mention. Ooh, celeb cameos? I'm here for it. I think I know who... You will be bringing up, but I haven't seen. There's a main, but there's a like you like uh, Andrea said. There's cameos. She was low key from what I can gather, kind of like an underground it girl of hell yeah, sixties and seventies. Um, so we'll start at the beginning. Um, Catherine Marie Agnes Fall de Saint Fall. Uh. They say fall. Also, I'm going to try really hard with all of these French words. I took Spanish. I <laughs> everything. <laughs> I listened to everything in Wikipedia. And it's like you read a word and then you're just like, oh, say the first and the last sound. Like you just don't use any of the letters in French words. No, <laughs> you're not. Yeah, it's, but it's every vowel. But you say two. <laughs> And you end every word as if you don't care about words. Like, uh, like, the, like <laughs> I was listening to people in the documentary trying to mimic how they say her name. And they all say it a little bit differently, but none of them, like, it's all like your tongue's asleep. It's truly the most luxurious language. Information given with a shrug. I'm here yes. for it. It sounds like your tongue is laying on a chaise lounge. That's what French <laughs> sounds like. Um, so yeah, bear with me for future pronunciation pronunciations. But pronunciations, was, <laughs> pronunciation. Uh, uh, but um, Catherine was born October 29th, 1930, in, just west of Paris. She is from a very affluent family. Uh, the St. Fouls were very connected in Paris. Uh, they are the 13th oldest family in France. Her father Wait, was a how ca- do you, well, hold on. How do you track that? Like, okay, what? the only reason I believe that is because <laughs> I also uh, was told that during her entire childhood, she was left with people basically. And everyone was just telling her stories of how the sun falls of like 15, whatever were courageous. Like people told her and her brother, as they were growing up, like you will grow up to be great knights of the St. The St. Falls, like that they have this like fanciful. And they're distantly related to Joan of Arc and King <laughs> Arthur somehow. Like that's kind of how <laughs> like their their um family, not Florida Lee, but like their version crest. of yes, their crest is like mm-hmm. engraved in uh, like they kind of did like a pan of their old estates and stuff. It's everywhere. She just like. W- was raised in these grand estates just seeing oh yeah this is ours everywhere and Um, king louis the 14th had their crest tattooed on his butt and so that's how we know (laughs) what a big deal they were (laughs) yeah so she was definitely grew or definitely grew up in a place where 
she was told how important their family was. So the French economy was still suffering in the aftermath of the stock market crash that kickstarted the Great Depression. And this was months after she was born, like primo timing. So her father, even though he was super rich, left to go to America um, in an attempt to kind of salvage what they had left. So he goes to America, their mother soon follows, and they leave Nikki with her grandparents in a chateau in Nev, which has like six letters. Um, like it was like I was trying to like pronounce it, and then I put it in Wikipedia. And it's like yeah, and I was like, okay, I guess I'll say that. Um, oh my god, that's where she lives as like a toddler. So when she was three, she was brought to live with the rest of her family on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Her father had kind of um salvaged what was left of the business, and they were like, yay, we're rich again. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is their business? He's a banker. And I don't know okay. more than that because it's like... So this like, is just the Medici's of France. He was a yeah. banker and I think they would have been poor if he wouldn't have come and kind of used what he had left of like his namesake and stuff to become a banker over here and like salvage what he had left of their business. I What I was... What I research is that basically he was a banker left because they were, you know, not doing well financially and was able to salvage his banking business in America. Okay. Um, so her, she was raised aggressively Catholic and her mother was horribly ab- abusive. Um, oh, fun. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, a Nikki, what she her mother would later nickname or will soon nickname her Nikki, but Nikki says she remembers her sister being beat with the prickly side of a brush. Her oh. sister also recalled once that her brother um, didn't want to finish his food. And so she force fed him until he got sick and then forced one of their servants to f- um, serve him a plate of his own vomit back to him. Oh, so that is the kind like, of mom that's we're like dealing a with. Classic, though. Yeah, I mean, like that's the yes, <laughs> yes, like insane. Like she uh, went on to say, her brother had certain things that he would never eat the rest of his life because of the abuse they endured as children. Oh no, so, shit! Yeah, why? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um. So she spent most of her childhood and adolescence in New York City and the summers in Connecticut and Long Island, returning home to France to visit relatives. Um, She got expelled from pretty much every school ever. In 1937, (laughs) uh, she was expelled from Covenant of the Sacred Heart in Manhattan. She was later expelled from Brearley for putting red paint on the fig leaves of the school's Greek statues. Uh. Um. And <laughs> she, oh, um, that's really funny, right? And, and there's a, uh, I don't, I didn't keep it in because I don't know if it's like a just a rendition, but there is a picture of like a st- a gray statue with red fig leaves in one of the uh, documentaries. Awesome. Um, but wait, 1937 the, was she seven years old? Because he said she was born in oh yeah. I mean, I guess so. Oh no, 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 that was a different expulsion. So Breer, no, uh, Breerly, I, know, I think she like, was like in her teens. In 37, she went to the convent of the Sacred Heart in Manhattan, which she was also expelled from. Like she got she expelled was, from 
but she was seven, right? Yeah. It just says that she How do you aggressively get expelled from school at seven years old. Catholicism. I was, I was one to say. I was kicked out of a preschool for not knowing prayers and I was Baptist. So it's like, eh, I can what? see them finding a reason to kick out a seven year old of a strict Catholic environment. This I don't have the, the day that I learned that, one, that Katrina's always been a badass. Damn. Okay. <laughs> no, first off, that was just miscommunication. Like she just <laughs> didn't have track of all the little black kids she was taking care of and was like mad at me because I didn't know a prayer. And I was like, I've never been here before. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> side note. Um, but although the administration didn't respect Nikki's form of vandalistic expression, she would later say it was at these schools that she, quote, became a, fe- a feminist. They, um, they taught us that women can and must accomplish great things. So I like that she somehow pulled that out of all of this strict Catholicism. Like yeah, in, between, cool. in between ruler beating, she was like, okay, um... She finally graduated from Oldfields, a bootering school outside Baltimore, where she wrote, I started noticing that I had a, quite a bit of success with men. I enjoyed the power of turning them on. Um, <laughs> oh, I also will say that at Breerly, the school before this, that the one that she got expelled from for the fig leaves, she met Jackie Matisse, granddaughter oh. of Henry Matisse, and they would be lifelong friends. Um, okay. First of all, really cute. Second of all, <laughs> I enjoy turning men on is such like it is sort of the Catholic guilt slash childhood abuse handbook is like, oh, yeah, like, okay, I have no power as a child. I'm told that my body is this sort of like dangerous tool. Sex Mm. is bad and I'm punished all the time for things that are beyond my control why don't I use the power, the only power I'm told I have, which is my sexuality and my body to feel powerful and in control. That's like Catholicism 101. You'll see um, that kind of sentiment carry throughout her life in different forms. So during her late teenage years, she became a fashion model. So when she was 18, she was on the cover of Life magazine Um, And three years later, she was on the cover of French Vogue in November 1952. She also appeared on the pages of Elle and Harper's Bazaar. Wow. So, yeah, she's just hanging out. And she is stunning. And I will show you the first picture now because this is kind of her early years in um, New York. So this one is titled Emo Nikki because this (laughs) is her... And I think you can even tell in this picture, she's kind of surrounded by all of like, there's a woman behind her who you can't see her face, but she just happens to be in like all white organza and is platinum blonde. And Nikki is right next to her facing the camera in all black, looking like Catherine uh, O'Hara in Beetlejuice, not smiling. She looks like Edward Scissorhands in the gender swap version. Yes. (laughs) Like not smiling, looking like a complete badass. Just like, I'm here for your ball. Um, <laughs> Balls. Uh, and I'm yeah. going to snap them off with my scissor hands <laughs> yeah. and paint your fig leaf red. Thank and you so paint. much. Nice. Um, so St. Fall, when she was 11, met a man named or a boy named Harry Matthews through her father. Six, six years later, they encountered each other by chance on a train to Princeton. Matthew said she was one of the most beautiful women in the world. 
He remembers he was sitting next, um, sitting in a dining car with one of his two quote half girlfriends when this young woman walked past and she turned around and looked at me. It was Nikki who had become an absolute goddess. She smiled at me and said, hello, Harry. That was it for me. Uh, they were, <laughs> they were like married. Half girlfriends. Yes. Two half girlfriends, <laughs> which makes a whole girlfriend. So he was with one whole girlfriend split into two women on a train and then met Nikki. <laughs> Here's the thing. I like the top half of this one. Bottom half of this one. <laughs> Every so picture sweet. of this girl, she looks like Winona Ryder in Beetlejuice. Ooh, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, like the, this is the two of them together, that photo where she's got her little beret and her little baby yes. bangs. Yes. Jesus. Also, that guy's head is fucked up. I don't know how he had two half girlfriends. What do you mean? Like it's big? Look at the big, weird, bulbous sides. Nah, of he's his got a forehead. big brain. Some people like big heads. And no jaw. It's just this, I mean, like that's... amorphous. His head looks like uh, the fucking the grimace. Um, I'm gonna be honest. Wait till you see some of the other people she shacks up with, because Harry's honestly not that bad. Um. <laughs> okay. Well, so upside down he... grimace head is not my favorite. <laughs> I see what you're saying, though. He does have a head shaped like the friendliest purple <laughs> character at McDonald's. But <laughs> so they were married at 18 and 19 respectively. Oh, uh, that is so young. I yes. see. I, I really don't think that the age is going to be a problem later on when they start to have marital difficulties. Honestly, the age isn't. They're 18 really? and 19, okay. right? I, I mean, they're only a year apart. We'll see what later. I mean is, that they're both very young when they're getting married. Yeah. Oh, I mean. yeah. Oh, and I'm saying their marriage problems don't have as much to do with their youth as they do a lot of other stuff. So um, Harry uh, said her parents were okay. They found out that my grandfather had a vast amount of money. My family was poor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Harry has some hilarious, like I had to take, I, tried to take some of it out but there's an it like i included an interview with him where i'm just like i he's not perfect by any means but like i really fuck with his rendition of the past um that's really funny <laughs> uh, my family was horrified which i thought was rather funny that a not highly distinguished new york couple should disapprove of titled members of french aristocracy so they didn't <laughs> like they didn't like them because they were protestant um initially oh. they had a civil ceremony and at the urging of nikki's mother they also had a religious um right at the french church of new york the following february matthew's family all but cut him off financially and the newlyweds got into a habit of shoplifting books and foods that they could no longer afford <laughs> so and i i put uh rich people uh, adjusting and i like as much as I get accused of stealing, was just like, oh, how nice of you to go into a store with a beret and be like, I can't afford Brie anymore and just steal it. Um, oh, absolutely. But they did stop stealing when their daughter, their daughter Laura, was born in 1951. Uh, by then, okay. Matthews... Growth, I guess. <laughs> I did think that was funny where I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're like, we have a child. We can't shoplift anymore. Um <laughs> 
But you'll see that they traded in shoplifting for intense neglect. So, oh, Matt, oh. Matt, but, but this this Andrea may be a part of them being young and how they were possibly both brought up. Um, but his young wife did not take to housekeeping. Nick Nikki said, "I took our dirty clothes and hid them under the bed where they slowly accumulated." <laughs> Yo, when Matthew, when Matthew complained that he had nothing to wear, she would say, it's too boring. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I can't, I can't deal with how you need to prepare clothes to wear again. (laughs) As someone with ADHD can relate, like, I have to like, I can't imagine doing laundry before podcasts and automatic washers. Like... (laughs) I need a podcast to get me going to wake up. Like I can't just be living life without having something to listen to. It's horribly boring. (laughs) I get that. But I feel like this is way more of a thing where like I've never had to do this before and I'm not particularly interested in it either. I feel like there are a lot of like combination of me being like, yes, fight these gender roles and being like, yeah, but also you just can't take care of yourself as an adult because you're yeah, terribly yeah, sheltered. Yeah, it's yeah. like half and half. Um, so to say that, <laughs> to say that um, Nikki was ill-prepared for motherhood is obviously an understatement. She said, it simply didn't occur to us that there was anything wrong with leaving our daughter peacefully sleeping in her crib while we went out for a few hours. Yo! Um, Matthew said that they used to leave pieces of salami on the edge of the crib so that if she awoke, she would have something to snack and keep her busy. You mean something to choke on and die? The (laughs) fuck? Pieces of salami like she's a cat? Like they're crate training her. (laughs) Okay, so in, in fairness, when I was bored, my dad was a pretty intense alcoholic. And mm. this is how he would parent me. Like, if my mom wasn't there and he was left to his own devices, he was like, she's fine. I right. don't understand why an adult has to be there. Like, my parents would leave me and they'd just, like, leave the little, like, walkie-talkie monitor and they'd go down the street and drink at the neighbors. Oh, and then yeah. it's like, why did she grow up so anxious? I don't understand. <laughs> Crazy. Weird. well here's the thing at least your dad was like being a functioning alcoholic they're just (laughs) young and rich and like this should be fine um one night they returned home and found laura had gone missing and found and found the apartment filled with the terrible smell of gas they later realized that neighbors had noticed the fumes and rushed in to rescue the baby (gasps) that Um, baby's got brain damage thank god right right god um, and then several years later, they had a second child named Philip, which we'll talk oh, about in good. a second. Excellent. Um, but did he, I tell but- you guys the story of because like my parents never had any money. So kind of the opposite of this fucking couple. Uh-huh. Um, but when I was a baby, my crib was the bottom drawer of a dresser. <gasps> yes. And that is so unsafe. Tip over a couple of times. Here's the thing. I've heard of that happening in theory, but I did also hear <laughs> top drawer. <laughs> oh, no. Top drawer is like the worst one because that's definitely going to tip. They they at least had the, the foresight to put me in the bottom drawer, but it did close and fall a couple of times. So 
a oh couple after the first time you're right. not just like hey maybe we need to reevaluate this sleeping situation of our infant they just put my, a weight in the back of the drawer and then put Jordan back in the front my brother's crib was a laundry basket so like moving on up yeah, dude i had furniture exactly. <laughs> so speaking of little brothers hers was born prematurely and kept in an overoxygenated incubator which left him oh. vision impaired yeah and his parents didn't realize there were there was a problem they always used to leave me alone with my sister. When he was two and a half, they left the children at a farm when they went out of town and Philip was run over by the wheel of an ox cart and was in a coma for two to three weeks. What the fuck? What? Laura, Laura, as an adult would say, my parents, they were hopeless, but I got oh a lot of God. things in my childhood that you don't usually get, which sounds like if I've ever heard a sentence that was a cycle continuing in a version, like, they were hopeless, but I got a lot of things that other kids don't get. Um, <laughs> like brain damage from gas inhalation. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> Matthews would occasionally get money and they would go on family trips. They followed a group of musicians to a small town outside uh, Nice. Is that how you say it? I, the French one? Isn't it nice? Not, is it? That's what it looks like, but I thought that's that was not like, what it is. I've, I feel like I thought because it was French, it was supposed to be like nice. I know. But here's the it, thing. I don't know. I'm going to. Oh, but I think that's the last time I'll say it anyway. But Matthews says that them moving to this small town was, quote, as if we'd been possessed by the demons of the Mediterranean. It was sort of overpoweringly erotic. The blue sea, the weather, everything seems to be encouraging sex. Wait, who was this? Matthews, her husband, Henry. Oh my god! Okay, I was like, wait a second. What was the kid's name? I can't remember. Ah, that's quoting so anymore. I'm very upset. Here's the thing: comas have wild, wild <laughs> after they effects. They really will change your life. So yes. I didn't realize I was. Uh, I had muted myself because I had a hacking fit, and I was talking, oh. and I was like, nobody's listening to me. No, Jordan. But I was going to say just a just a very quickly. It's not their fault the kid is blind because at the time they didn't realize that over oxygenating the NICU unit uh, would cause blindness. So that, I think I that just, he means he doesn't realize that they their vision impaired son didn't need to be left with another toddler. Oh, I think yeah. Is no, what no, no. That okay. part is absolutely. But like. So they suck, and I frankly, I feel bad that we're at this point in the story because I'm like, oh, I fucking hate this lady and her stupid, weird husband. Um, <laughs> but that that one, that very, very singular one thing was not their fault. Yeah, I got. Oh, Max. yeah, the over-oxygenating is that they have nothing to do with. Yeah, absolutely. Um so this is where we really get into what Andrea was alluding to earlier in terms of uh, real problems in their relationship. So Matthews <laughs> began an affair with the French wife of an English lord and St. Paul Jesus. retaliated by having a, an affair with the lord who was twice her age and shell-shocked from WW2. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> okay, so did he have an affair with all of her or just half of her? I think uh -huh. he may have had an affair with 
one French wife, which counts as half of a girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> if you have, I'm just trying to keep the math straight. If you, if you have a wife and sleep with another person's wife, I think she counts as maybe a full girlfriend instead of a half girlfriend. <laughs> um, I don't know the full, the full, I haven't tried that Google tra- I did a lot of kilograms to pounds for how much things will weigh later. Did not do wives to girlfriends. Um, <laughs> Oh my god. I am obsessed with the description of this English lord as shell shock from World War II. Yeah. <laughs> Which amazing. I I I kind of that's like a lower that was me kind of uh diluting it into a sentence. But yeah, they kind of go back and forth for the most toxic part of their relationship is them kind of quote being open but constantly using these partners to like try to make each other jealous and like sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not like he gets a girl pregnant and she straight up like works with her on a children's book later but also will like attack with people like i'm about to say so one night matthew's mistress came into their home and saint paul attacked her she then swallowed a bottle of sleeping pills and um but recalls being so manic that they had no effect. Uh, What? And and this would start a rash of her hiding sharp arsenals of objects everywhere. So they just started finding scissors, razors, knives on around her everywhere all the time. And people started getting really concerned. Um, Is she at this time? So... This is around the time that like amphetamines and things like that are available, but people don't necessarily understand mm. the like what they do, what they do to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it I mean, was she prescribed any sort of like uppers? Because if you this... take a bottle of sleeping pills and it has no effect, I feel like you're on cocaine or, you know, there's something else going on here. This is the first time that. I see in anything her met like medication is not her bag. I don't know if they were experimenting being cool artists and that's not mentioned, but like no form of kind of abuse of anything other than like, what year is this? This is, let me see. It's right. Sorry. I asked that so much. No. Cause it's so funny. Cause this is probably the biggest, this is like maybe 1950. It's like around there. It's before 1956, but after. Because to Andrea's point, though, Mm -hmm. about uh, fucking meth, basically, Mm. um, in at the end of the 50s, when my grandmother got pregnant with my dad, um, every pregnancy she had gained, she uh, ended up over 200 pounds. So when she was pregnant with him, she went to her doctor and said, I don't want to gain all this weight again. I'd like to stay under 200. So he prescribed her 1950s diet pills to take for the remainder of her pregnancy. Yeah. So like and he was like, yeah, no, this will keep you and the baby healthy. So (laughs) it is. It'll keep you awake. (laughs) Yeah. No. So like. 
even if she wasn't abusing drugs, her doctor um, might have been like, well, she may have I been noticed that you're things. a woman in the 50s. So that's uh-huh. what I was I thinking. These. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I that's was, what I was wondering. I was chalking it up to I've absolutely had a panic attack and taken an insane amount of uh, edibles and had people be like, your body should have shut down. And I was like, it brought me back down to normal. Like, I just. Yeah. So yeah. I read that. I was like, eh, it maybe just brought her down to a dull hum the opposite way. You know what I mean? Yeah. But also very valid that <laughs> the second you said, you're a woman in the 50s. It's like, yeah, fair enough. Um, Yeah. She might have been prescribed those for period cramps because the doctor got so uncomfortable and was like, I don't need you don't have a vagina. Here's all this meth. And she's rich. So it's not like it's hard for her to get, you know, if she goes to complain about something. But there's no real talk even about things that I'm going to mention later um, that are upsetting. Short of her being kind of rebellious and, you know, like through Catholicism and her how strict her family was this is the first time we really get into her kind of having any kind of spiral of any kind like she calls this her first breakdown so she was put into a mental clinic and underwent 10 rounds of electroshock therapy Uh, the doctor said that the treatment could take five years Uh, she was allowed to walk in the garden and collected twigs and leaves and started making collages. Freed of her domestic duties, she became consumed with art and began to feel better and was released after just six weeks. So she says... Her domestic duties, which are piling the dirty laundry under the bed (laughs) instead of doing anything. She just had a bunch of those backless gowns tuffed under her bed at the mental (laughs) institution. Um, She says, quote, my mental breakdown was good in the long run because I left the clinic a painter. I started painting in the madhouse where I learned to translate emotions, fear of violence, hope, joy, all of that into painting. It was through creation that I discovered the somber depths of depression and how to overcome it. Um, Some of her first figures when she left the um, clinic would be figures of her daughter, Laura, dancing around and having fun. And you'll see these kind of emerge in later art. Oh, I when I she was get rid of all my domestic duties and only focus on art. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Um, but you have to trade it off with electroshock. They don't let you just be an artist somewhere. Um, okay, shock me a couple times if I never have to do laundry again. Hire a maid. Let's get out of here, baby. Here's the thing. I've been tased before. <laughs> I would take Yeah. It's wait, like I hold would on. Wait, hold yeah. on. You don't get to just jump by that girl voluntarily or like I mean, yeah, cuz they sell them at the flea market and I was like, "Let me see if I can take this shit." But it's like, yeah, it's like <laughs> I I'm I you'd might you might want to toss a load in every now and again, Andrea. Like it's not that bad, but it's not that great. Um okay, I'm sorry. We'll, we can no. get back into it. Okay. Oh yeah, I did want to say this one little interjection that's like so I don't know. It just made me feel a lot of different things at the same time. But um, when she was in the clinic, uh, St. Paul said there were bars on the windows and I pointed to them asking Harry, what are those for? And he responded solemnly to catch butterflies. Somehow this remark reassured me. So 
That was Henry coming to see her when she was committed. And her granddaughter is also in there kind of speaking on his behalf a little in terms of when she was kind of storing sharp things everywhere. And he was like, he was just really worried, you know, like he didn't know why it started happening and it just really freaked him out. So I'm glad that he kind of still went in there and. The crazy uh, hormone change of having two kids and then neglecting them. And they're them, not far apart. Like, they're like whatever a medication look- her doctor is giving her. And mm-hmm. and then he's cheating on her. Oh, you do don't know what happened, buddy? You don't know? You, you couldn't figure it out? Well, the only thing about the cheating is that I feel like even if it hurt her, throughout her life even with other partners you see so much of like partially I think that she's into it too for the Uh partners that she takes but there are certain and honestly Henry's the same way in something I'm about to say which this might be kind of the thing even if you are open where there's certain people that they both just seem to, like I said, that other lady literally fathered a child with him. They're cool. There are certain people that seem to get to both of them. So I don't know if that partner was just that person for her, that the woman that she attacked, but that just seems to be a thing that makes it like, it's cool. I can do this. I can do this. And then both of them in the relationship will be like, I can't do this. This is very upsetting. And it's like, well, stop trying to do it to each other but they're just constantly doing that constantly just bringing other part like he would see her walk in with someone and say he was with a friend of theirs saw her walk in with a dude she was hooking up with and told the guy told their friend i'm never coming to an event without a bimbo again well this thing happens okay (laughs) i'm on reddit way too much but uh oh god (laughs) That intro worries me, but keep going. I have a problem. Uh, I'm seeking therapy, but I am on like, am I the asshole a lot, which is a thread. uh, And then like true off my chest relationships all the time. This thing happens where people try to open up their relationship because one person wants to fuck other Uh people and Mm -hmm. they are not prepared for Mm -hmm. the emotional thing that is going to happen to them Mm -hmm. because they want to sleep with other people they don't think of what it's going to feel like when their partner also sleeps with other people yep and it destroys the relationship every time like there are so many people that like i wish i never would have opened the relationship i wish i never would have had this threesome i wish this and it's like once you open that it's so hard to regain trust and like bring that back and dial it back in and control those jealousies yep it's very I will, I'll give I'll give a lighter ver- example of this happening. I in a previous relationship brought up being open. Um tried it and did not like it at all. Learned I'm a very monogamous person. If I want to sleep with someone else, I just want to sleep with that other person. I don't like the way it feels loving someone and then being with someone else. It is not yeah. a fucking cool thing for me. But I tried it and then went back to my partner and was just like, I hate this, but also like told him that this happened. And he was blew up at me in a way that I was very confused because we had talked about it. And I was like, why are you so upset? And he just said, I thought you meant me and slammed the door. And so that's perfect. That's a perfect example of someone like being like, yeah, I was okay with it. But I thought you meant me hooking up with other people, (laughs) not you. What the <laughs> fuck? So yeah, Katrina. This can, this can get complicated. Um, 
I always try to tell that as a joke because I think that it's a funny reveal, but no one ever really laughs. Um, What's funny <laughs> is that someone could be dumb enough to think that you would bring up a whole conversation so that they could cheat on you. Like Andrea, that is so literally, funny. that's what I said. Why would I be bringing this up for you out of nowhere? Like, you know what? I was thinking you probably just need some new snatch. Like, why would that be something I was <laughs> brainstorming during the day? God bless him. Um, Oh, but yeah, so goodness. it just gets it gets um hard. But when she left the clinic, uh she was never again content to live as a wife and mother. The family moved to Majorca to a house that had no plumbing. They basically like moved to this like cool hippie convent, but it was disgusting like in terms of like we're artists but also there's just like 10 people making food on a stove that's in the middle of a workspace and it's like technically filthy but they're like we're artists um so this is where she i've been to uh, a comic house i get it, it really that was what Keith i lived I, at pack pal when yo we one picture was seriously if you just doubled the occupancy of that house <laughs> that's what the picture looked like though like it was insane there were like 12 people and twice as many plates in the picture and they weren't in a kitchen like it was a disaster but i'm um, going to say i once dated a man who lived in one of those comic houses where like 26 dudes lived together in a house he had the whole garage to himself so it was like closed off but uh -huh. like the garage door was there and he broke up with me but i was like to leave i have to like wait for the door to open like it oh. was <laughs> Because now I'm just thinking of someone breaking up with you and pressing the button being like, we need to talk. And then. And then and so I feel breaking like, up with me while it opens. Yes, as the door opens. So like by the time you're ready to leave, it's like, I, I think that we should see other people and just like, like snaps into place. I can see a, a soap opera that instead of called As the World Turns, it's just called As the Door Opens, and it's just about people who live in garages. Andrea, that's so funny. It's pretty um, fantastic. Anyway, oh yeah, those God, are great yeah. places to live. I had so, my own apartment at the time. I was like, we could have been fucking there if you had a yo, car. Like, what the fuck? You couldn't have dumped me in a place with a full door, my dude. You got to break up with me with full open hinges. We okay, got for, for real. There is there is something so brutal about dating a guy who lives in a garage and can't drive and you're like, "No, you don't get to break up with me." Yeah. <laughs> no, I like had a works. job and like, yeah, I was like a fully functional <laughs> adult. I mean, I would say I tend to date down and then those people tend to still dump me. So, I'm just n done doing that. <laughs> I dated a guy for about a month and a half who didn't drive and I realized I didn't want to be dating him anymore. So I just, I did such a dick move. I called him and I was like, Hey, I, I'm done. And he was like, why couldn't you do this in person? And I was like, cause you want me to pick you up and drive you to my house. And then I still have to, have drive, to drive you, you back. Home. This is yeah, better. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could have like rolled through. I could have like rolled down my window and been like, we should break up. A drive by your parents. Oh my God. Slow it down to like five MPH. 
Oh my gosh. So Jordan, when you started that sentence, I was hoping you picked him up and then just dropped him off in the middle of the city somewhere and was like, find your way home. It's over. <laughs> like when a lost elderly person forgets where they live, but it's your boyfriend, not your boyfriend. anymore. Where's my girlfriend? I literally Anyways. don't know. I'm oh, so sorry. God. This tangent is so No, long. it's fine. So <laughs> after she uh, left the clinic, she was also fell in love with and was deeply affected by the architectural works of Anthony Gaudi. Is that how you say it? Um, his unimagined possibilities uh, kind of... Oh, she especially loved his use of unusual materials and found objects. And she was particularly struck by Park... Because uh, also this was another one that I looked up and it was not... It's Park Giel but it's basically a beautiful park um, (laughs) that would inspire one of her life's works. So even in these surroundings, even surrounded by dirty art. Sorry, I I had to look him up because I was like, I know the name. Uh Uh, And yeah, no, no, no. So that he's a, a, we should talk about Gaudi just for a second because he is a completely... Uh, what, bonkers outlier. Ooh. Yeah, like I mean, basically, like he was so far. It was like uh, it was like Hieronymus Bosch, where you're like the Renaissance, yeah. and you've got all this, and then you've got this one guy who's like, "Here's a guy shitting out a bird." Like <laughs> his stuff is just so uh, incredibly imaginative, yes. and it's all very like organic shapes and mosaics and um. And Spanish art. Everything so you're like, describing, dude. Very vibrant. Yes. Everything you're describing, you can see in her works later. So he's the architect that designed the uh, the cathedral that took like 100 years to build or something, right? Yes. Like they just, yes. just finished it. Which is another thing they'll have in common. I love this so much. Everything that you all are saying is like she straight up was inspired by this person and then became her own version of it. I love it. <laughs> uh, during a vacation off the coast of Brittany, Brittany, probably if it's the place, the artist Joan Mitchell called... Joni Mitchell? No, because I thought okay, that too. I was really confused. Okay, here's the thing. That's not even that far off because straight up there are cameos. Like, I'm not joking. So <laughs> during a vacation off the coast of Brittany, the artist Joan Mitchell called her, quote, one of those artists, one of those writers' wives that paint. Oh, oh fuck you. St. Paul said, I felt as though an arrow pierced a sensitive part of my soul. I made the decision. If I didn't want to be a second-class citizen, I would have to go out into the world and fight to impose myself as an artist. Men's roles seemed to give them a great deal more freedom, and I was resolved that freedom would be mine. The family moved back to Paris. Uh, she took to a, a studio nearby and a vibrant artistic and another vibrant artistic community, but she soon became tired of quote bad Italian champagne in the middle of the day. So also she just like <laughs> cannot be satiated. Like nothing pleases this woman like <laughs> to the fullest. Um, also, I'm gonna say hmm. as someone with ADHD. <laughs> 
I kind of fucking get it. Because even doing the things you love after a mm-hmm. while, you're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, but yeah. I love it. Like, we need more dopamine. Like, up the mm-hmm. fucking ante. I can't with uh-huh. this. Um, so in 1956, she meets the, the Swiss artist Jean Tigli and his wife, who's also an artist, Ava Appley. St. Paul attempted her first large scale sculpture with his help because he was um, did a lot of iron and framework sculpture, which she Mm. then covered with plaster and paint. He was an intense looking man who always dressed in blue work coveralls. Um, And she wrote him once after meeting, I immediately fell in love with your work, but she also wrote, you walked like a Panther. And I was like, bitch. Yes, like I love her. Cause that sounds like something I would say to one of my friends drunk about someone at a bar. Like I like I totally pick up on the intensity with which she's attracted to people. Um he was married and had a steady stream of girlfriends and his wife had a teenage lover that lived with them, an arrangement that impressed St. Paul and was um who saw it as like exciting and creative. So that's the thing is like all of this. And I think what you were saying, even about their age, I feel like there's a lot about the time that they're in them emotionally. And they get all wrapped up in like, this is what creatives do. And it's like so many things convincing that would seem like it would be like, this is a part of my culture. And it's like, do you like this all the time? No, it's like, sometimes you definitely are okay with taking multiple lovers, but like this definitely causes issues. (laughs) Well, I think we saw this in the Nahai Sook episode where when you're raised sort of with this very strict Mm. like religious upbringing or like there's all these rules and you're constantly under the control of others, it makes you want to act out because you feel like you want to push the limits of your own freedom a little bit and kind of like explore things. So Mm -hmm. I think psychologically it makes sense. And especially at this time when it's not acceptable, there's almost like an excitement in breaking social norms yeah because you feel so trapped by them. that makes anyway. sense but that's such a duality because everything you're saying makes sense but then you still love someone so it could be hurting your feelings but i get yeah, yeah. okay so um oh but her husband matthews was also captivated by tigley uh, he said, quote, he was a he was this dashing person, a kind of model of what an avant-garde artist should be. The two men became friends. Uh, Nikki told me when we were both still in our seemingly lion-hearted promiscuous period, uh, if there was anybody you don't want me to have an affair with, let me know. Matthew smiled and asked her not to sleep with Tigley because he said if she got involved with him, I knew she would make sure it wasn't just a passing affair. So Damn. Like, this is the shit. Yeah. So um so she you immediately starts an affair hot. with him, right? <laughs> oh, here's the thing. Click the next picture. That's what I was trying to tell you about. Like he's super regular. He looks like a balding French man. Like I know he's Swiss, but just cuz he's like dark, like fair skin, uh, dark hair and just like much he just looks like a balding regular dude. Like he's not ugly, but he's not as like interestingly handsome as I think Matthew. Here's the thing. This is kind of like when you find out that a comedian has multiple girlfriends because you're like, okay, you're not hot. So it must be all personality. Like it has, like you're cheating on a bunch of hot women. So like 
you must be so funny. You know who he kind of looks like? He kind of looks, he looks like a less attractive Jim Croce for anyone who's listening Mm. and knows music from that time. He looks like Jim Croce. Um, But also I am obsessed with like, especially depictions of the fifties where they're like, and then everyone's having sex with everyone else. And it's this time of just craziness and, and then we look at this picture and girlfriend is dressed like a skater boy from the 90s. Yes. She's wearing a t-shirt with oh, a long sleeve. You under never it see the lines of the anyone's bodies. Cut. Yeah, you never see the lines of anyone's bodies. Like No, she- and these two are like the like, oh, you walk like a panther. And I'm like, you guys look like gym teachers. They were out here doing. They were out here freaking hot over each other in these coveralls, Jordan. Oh my god, yeah. And I'm sure that their lights off missionary sex was great. And you can't even wash the jizz off after because there's no running water. I'm just kidding. She actually, I think, has running water now. But still, yeah, they're just like living as always. So, <laughs> I just, same. By the way, I that's how you get descriptions, ants, that which is- I know from, which I only know from listening to Mean Boys. By the way, yeah. that is how you get ants. Oh, yes. I've no, had. I'm ants- aware. Yeah, I've had ants come into a balled up tissue before because they were looking <laughs> oh. for water. Um, yep. So no. I just <laughs> love that this whole episode has been like, and then they're having hot, hot sex. And hey. I'm like, these look like these people look like they don't have genitals. Like, but I that's, can't that's who think was of fucking. them in a sexual Maybe way Maybe that's why all. they were so turned on by each other. Everyone was so, like, baggy and androgynous. They were just like, I'll fuck all these page boy haircuts. Let's go. Like- <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, so... In 19, in the summer of 1960, St. Paul and Matthew separated um, while the family was on a trip to the U.S. Uh, Nikki said, quote, I didn't want to worry about him, the children or any other responsibilities. Within months, she had taken up with Jean. Uh, Me either, dude. No one yeah. wants responsibilities. <laughs> that's here. That's, I think, like the sassiest part of me when I read stuff. Again, that duality of like, yes, gender norms, but also being like, you had them but whatever yeah it was fucking figure it out like i i do have an issue and i know that this is a a personal and probably an unpopular opinion but i can't respect men or women who have children and then are like actually i decided i'm an artist so like i don't need them I feel the same way about men. I fucking hate Gauguin because he had six kids and then fucking abandoned them i think he's a piece of shit i kind of don't respect this lady who's just neglecting and abusing and then abandoning her kids because it's like yeah make art but also fucking figure it out dude i get it you you had a silver spoon in your mouth so you never had to take responsibility for a single thing in your life and then all you've done is fucking cheat with your husband and then abandon your kids jordan but that point jordan maybe that's the only reason she didn't have any of that because she grew up that way so she probably would have had more of the idea of yeah i had these kids and i'm gonna take them with me on my art journey if she had more of a motherly example to go off of like she was taking care of people and the one of her strongest relationships was with 
one of her like black nannies who was forced to feed her her brother vomit like that's who (laughs) she had the most maternal things to pick up on so I do feel like I read things and I'm like it sounds selfish but I do genuinely think it's absent from her brain I don't know if she the way you deal with the same way we're talking about men who like we know tons of comics who I've seen take pictures with 13 year old children on Father's Day that I've never seen and have lived in this city since I have like and you're like what who is this person like you made that (laughs) they live where interesting so like I can see her also just looking at examples around her and being like fuck it I'm gonna do it too like I don't and then also I think about birth control that's the only other thing that I will not take away from her because if you ask my grandma ever when she stopped having kids she said when they came out with birth control she was in line the first day so I also think that a woman of that age who when she graduated ate Catholic high school she got kicked out of that already knew she liked the power that she had over men may or may not have ended up pregnant not that she couldn't have you know done something else but I did forget about birth control for a second yeah I was well, gonna say I mean, I, married couples were allowed to get contraceptive that was something that oh, they yeah, had access yeah. to and That's her and her fair. dude got married at 18 and 19 they That's could have fair. gotten a prescription yeah and you're right condoms. in that she wasn't an artist yet she I think at that point she knew more about what she didn't want to be than what she did uh-huh um yeah, yeah. But you're not to excuse any of this neglect, but you're right. It's one of those things where, like, I don't know, your kid hits five, you fucking get it together, dude. Like, you don't get to just then be like, ah, you're walking. Eh, Well, right, to double down on how right Jordan is right now, um, there was never any discussion with Laura or Philip, her children, who were nine and five at the time, that their parents were going to get a divorce. When we I came back from Paris, Laura said my mother wasn't there anymore. Jesus, that's so hard. I do feel bad for these kids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, By like, I guess the end of that year, her and Harry had reached a mutual agreement where Matthews would occasionally buy artworks from his wife as a way of providing her modest support and she would visit him and the children periodically. Okay. Also around this time, this was like right before they split up, um, she became ill with hyperthyroidism and tachycardia? Tachycardia. Tachycardia. Um and had and had to have an operation in '58, so two years before they like fully split up, but were not you know really functioning well. Um, and after her operation, Nikki was inspired by more artists um, of the avant-garde, including uh, William de Koenig and Jasper Johns. It quote uh, it triggered her. It triggered her, quote, first great artistic crisis. That's what she called it. She switched from oil painting to um, opaque watercolors and gloss paint and began to produce assemblages from household objects and cast-offs. So this is when we start getting into um, some of her first artworks that you'll see. Yeah, so this one, um, I... I do not believe that she picked this up just from de Koenig and, uh, and, um, Jasper. Oh, there's a long, there's a long list of people I cannot pronounce that I could send you, but yeah, this one. And actually, if you guys look up, um, Oh God, I think it's called, 
the bed. So look up Robert Rauschenberg, the bed. She just did that, but with a clock. Like it's. Can you real quick? Do you want to just describe the painting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, I'm gonna get to the painting in a second. So, um, so she got oh after her surgery started working on assemblages and her and john um once her and john like fully shack up she really starts um kind of working in this new space that isn't just paint so she gets sick she has surgery she gets divorced she moves in with john um he had separated from his wife uh they Nikki and John would live together, but intermittently fight violently and collaborate closely for the next like 25 years. So this first work that I've um, had relationships like this. (laughs) (laughs) So this first work that uh, Jordan is referring to, uh, I have the title somewhere. Oh, wait, did I title? There it is. It's, oh, no, I didn't. It's like a portrait of my lover is like the first part of the sentence that it's titled. But basically, they were in their studio fighting one day. She took one of his art smocks and started throwing darts at it on a canvas. (laughs) And he came in and saw her doing it and said, you should put that in the show. And so she (laughs) made the bullseye um, what you're seeing there is a it's a canvas with what would be like a portrait body, but the the body of the the figure is an actual art smock that's like plastered onto the canvas, and then what would be the head of the figure is an old dartboard. So she would invite people to come and for the exhibit invited people to come throw darts at what represented John's face. That's huh. pretty sick, actually. So that is the first piece that you are comparing to the bed? Yes. So it's it's Rauschenberg and what he did, he developed a style called combines because he was very interested in um, Picasso's assemblages. Mm-hmm. So he was taking basically objects and then creating sculptures out of them and... Uh, painting on them and the bed let me pull this up um he took his bed sheets and his pillow and painted them and it's just it such looks an, very similar in terms of looks, to some stuff you're gonna see in a second so similar and it's just interesting because i I don't know. It kind of feels like she is just involved in this kind of post-war pre-pop art kind of deal. Mm -hmm. So Rauschenberg, like the the interesting thing about the Rauschenberg one is that he's taking an object that is familiar and we all have it and we all have Mm -hmm. experience with it. And it's always in this one position. And then he's putting it vertical on the wall and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this is definitely, especially for it to be one of her first things that's ever shown. It's like, I feel like this is very, mm, not personal, like, because obviously it's going to be personal, but very much like, I'm mad at one individual person and I'm just going to make everyone else help me get this anger out on this one individual person. Like, this is almost like, 
a burn book, not so much something that I would try to compare to what that bet is. Um, yeah, but that's fair. I would compare it to some stuff that we have coming up, like Hotel of the Innocent, um, which I feel like is a direct it's like you can almost see the stepping stones to what she ends up making like her life's work the most, but it is basically a canvas of assorted um, baby doll. Yeah. <laughs> baby doll heads. It's all plaid. There's a big uh, Christ-like figure on a cross at the top of the canvas. The background is gold and underneath the three-dimensional cross is a mountain of baby carcasses. What's the name um, of this again? Hotel of the Innocent. Um, so I feel like No, this- you can see like this is this this one feels more like okay, this is someone who is drawing from experience that they've had because as someone who also grew up Catholic, mm. the iconography that then seeps into your heart is mm. like impossible to get rid of it's why mm-hmm. a lot it's of like my artwork pete holmes has talks Catholic about imagery. like i swear pete holmes talks about it and i feel the same way about baptist being baptist is like religion is like when you shake a bottle of spray paint and you hear that little ball like there's always just still a little bit rattling around in me like i'm never gonna totally get rid of all of it um i'm just happy that we're seeing an evolution that is making jordan possibly respect her more as an uh, artist with a vision um i do like this piece <laughs> And then the next one, which I don't know the name of, but this is the first Nana. Like, this is the first series of Nanas you see. So the next one is an evolution of that same three-dimensional plastering of dumpster dive. Because this is like, oh, I also just wanted to say this one part because I just love the visual of it. But like, her and John are living together at this point. He left his wife, but they're still doing all their messy shit. They're like going to Vegas and dumpster diving for stuff and fur coats. Like, they're like really living the artist's life at this point where she's like figuring out what kind of material she wants for these things. Yeah. So there's a series of Nanas, but there's also zombie brides that I think I just put in the wrong order. She's at the end, but she did two different plaster three-dimensional depictions of women that have like this, this one on the wall, there is, she's made of children and leaves and everything. It's like, she's giving somebody said, and I agree with it. She's giving birth to the entire world all at once. Like she is organic matter. She is people. She has there are soldiers, there's everything, there's like everything that is represented in humanity is in plastered within this one piece of a woman who is large and overstated and I love her so much. And then she also did zombie brides because she had these three abandoned wedding dresses that she then filled with models and they are such a great depiction of someone who abandoned their children honestly like (laughs) even if you're gonna say as like a horribly flawed person it is such a good depiction of someone who clearly thinks that marriage is somehow equated with death and everything that it is so like it's so gnarly and that one is a standing piece it's all white plaster there's a huge veil over her she's um uh 
cradling in her hand like a bouquet that looks like flowers, but it's like flowers and babies and carnage and all kinds of stuff all kind of wrapped into this like one piece. It's great. So that's where we'll stop this week because that artistically is a great jumping off point for where we will finish the life of Nikki de Saint-Fal. Beautiful. I love it. I'm so Thank excited. Thank you. Yeah. She is fascinating. And also we've taken some really wonderful avenues to um, uh, discussions surrounding child abuse and poverty. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's not a perfect person. She's not a perfect figure. I kind of even like that about her, that we can kind of like focus on a deadbeat mom for a little bit and kind of think about what that, you know, is and looks like and all that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. But yeah, more to come next week. I'm done talking. That's because also it's normally one of you and I say thank you, but I'm done talking now. So if you like this podcast and want to hear more um, about... Nikki de Saint Fal or any of the other artists that we've already covered, please follow us at Pavantgarde, P O D V A N T G A R D E, on Instagram, um, Spotify, Twitter, wherever you get podcasts. We have an RSS feed. And also in the link to the description of this episode, you will see a link to our Patreon, which if you join it, we will help. I plugged this on somebody else's podcast the other day and literally just was like, uh, yeah, subscribe to our Patreon because we want to pay Elliot. They don't know Elliot. People on a whole other (laughs) podcast just using Elliot's Christian name. Um, But yeah, subscribe to our Patreon so we can afford to do uh, release episodes more regularly. Yeah, we're we're we have some uh I just realized as we're recording this that there are two bonus episodes that I haven't put on the Patreon yet. Because I haven't um photoshopped a video of law and order intro and old girls (laughs) photography work. So the issue is I had all these issues with like my bank account and like all of my I had to change literally I had to change the password to every single online account that I use for every single thing so I've been just like the past month I have dealt with so many issues with like my bank and online and my website and just all these things so I'm sorry it's late I love you I promise I'm gonna get to it very soon and honestly by the time this episode is out those bonus episodes should already be out baby yeah (laughs) excellent Oh, yeah. And if you want to follow me as an individual, I'm Katrina. I'm the one that was talking about Nikki and saying French words incorrectly the whole time. Um, You can follow me at Katrina Savad, S-I-V-A-D. It's just David's backwards at all the things. Is that when I'm supposed to do that? I'm so sorry. Yeah, get it, girl. That was perfect. That was exactly what, yeah. I forget how this goes. If you guys want to send us physical mail that I definitely check and don't forget about and haven't forgotten to plug in the last five episodes we've done you can send, send us, us physical baby mail. doll parts you can send us baby doll parts you can send us korean cook recipes literally some type of kachina doll anything mostly i'm just mentioning creepy dolls because i think it's october but you can send you think that it's october <laughs> it is october it might still be October it, when this episode is released. It is I got October you. October 15th. It is right you. in the middle. She so thinks it's October for them. I get yeah, that's you. what I mean. Okay. Also, my edible just kicked in. Oh. <laughs> Which explains a lot. Um, and I have to go drive to gallery sit, but it's fine. Um, if you want to send us a physical doll parts, artist books you like, 
honestly, if you send us a really good artist book, we're Mm. a lot more likely to cover it because right now we buy all of our artist books out of pocket. And if I don't have to buy a $25 book, I'll probably just cover that artist. So go ahead and send us artist books. Um, You can send us those things at 1001 Fremont Avenue, P.O. Box 367. No, sorry. P.O. Box 366. Oh, nice. put my name on it. That'll make it better. And uh, 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 oh, yeah. South Pasadena, California, 91030. That edible has definitely kicked in. I was like, um, there's more to an address than that. I'm almost positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, you can find me and my art on Instagram yeah. at Andrea Gazetta. You can find me on Twitter at Sundress Comic. If you're getting into the Sundress Comic stuff, it's on private because my boyfriend has a stalker. It's fun. Um, what else? Oh yeah, I have a website, andreagazetta.com. I have a Patreon. I just release artist prints that are limited edition and some of them are hand-painted and they're pretty dope. They're numbered and signed. So if you like skulls and foxes, check that out. Okay, I love you, bye. Thank you. And when your commissions reopen at Prism Pet Portraits. Oh yeah, those are close, right? Oh, but I am going to be doing a raffle because my friend has to have this crazy surgery. So I'm going to do a pet (gasps) portrait raffle if you guys want to get in on that. Surgery okay, raffle, yeah. Let's, let's support your friend. What about you, Jordan? Um, I am the Goonie Bird and also uh Goonie Bird Crafts. If you are on Instagram, that's the only social I use. I tried to get on the Facebook to join the group and I just am not great at it. But Ugh. um <laughs> you tried. Yeah, I have commissions open. You can look through. Um, I don't do pet portraits. You can send all those Andrea's way. Um, but if you need a creepy portrait, Christmas is coming, guys. I know yeah. that some of you are like me and you like Halloween all year round. So get it. Also, also you all can't see, but Jordan's hair looks phenomenal right now. It is um, stunning. Yeah, it looks <laughs> fucking amazing. It looks yeah. really good. Do you like this little it looks heart like she got that has happened out. with yes. my curls? Yeah. Yep, that too. I count that. That's um, new. Thank I love you, you guys. all so much for listening. We love you. We love, love you. you. Bye. Bye, guys. Hey guys, Andrea here. Um, I'm asking for your help a little bit today because Jordan, Katrina, and I are all comedians and artists who don't have any experience editing sound. And because this is a sound-based medium, we have asked an editor to help us with our episodes. Um, We had a few issues early on with some of the early recordings and we're working on getting those sorted out. Um, And... Part of that is just having an audio engineer. So in order to be able to actually pay him and pay him a fair rate, uh, we're asking for your help. We've set up a Patreon, patreon.com slash podvantgard. And our goal is that we can pay him not from our own pockets, but from the resources of the show itself, which means we need your help. Um We're also planning on starting to release bonus episodes. We'll start with one a month. Um, And as that Patreon rate increases, we'd like to eventually expand that to a bonus episode every week. And the bonus episodes will be more, um, a little bit more loose fit. We'll be covering 
art uh like current events and weird things that happen because there's a lot of like weird stuff going on in the art world right now um especially around nfts especially around ai and i think it's really interesting and worth talking about but we just need to be able to pay someone to edit that bonus content. Um, I would also say that in terms of the time cost, you know, Katrina, Jordan, and I all are supporting ourselves outside of this show. This show takes a lot of time. I'm probably spending at least three days a week with every episode just researching. We're buying books. Um, Katrina's editing the time codes. She's building our website. She's doing all our social media. Jordan is also researching her own episodes. And my goal for the Patreon is just that it can become something that, you know, we're not looking to get rich. I don't think that's ever been our goal. I don't think we ever think that could be our goal. But what I'd like to be able to happen eventually is that the Patreon can become a way for us to just pay ourselves a living wage for the time that we invest into this show. My experience uh, with Cult Podcast um, is that it's really hard to make a show every single week and not have other financial resources. So what I want is that this Patreon can eventually become a financial resource for us. It can help us support ourselves and it can help us to continue putting the show out so that we don't get burnt out and want to pull our hair out. Um, we love you so much and we think that the show is really important. I personally think that we need more podcasts that cover history and art history from a feminist, anti-colonial queer perspective and that's where we're coming from as artists and as art historians and comedians we love you we love this show thank you so much for supporting it that's again at patreon.com slash and thanks guys